Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This discussion is going to be on, Mor on Moroni chapter 8. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Why is this chapter in the Book of Mormon? Moroni knew that his time was soon at end. Uh, he looked back over the materials he had to see what may have been missing from the plates, so the subject of infant baptism he knew would be necessary for our day. But more importantly, this chapter is about the fall and the atonement. It's important to understand about uh, the, the children, uh, their need to be baptized or not. Uh, as we get into this, we'll, we'll discuss it further. Verse 1, An epistle of my father Mormon written to me Moroni, and it was written unto me soon after my calling to the ministry. And on this wise did he write unto me, this epistle was probably written to clarify doctrinal disputes. Now, maybe Moroni must have held some church position or he was in a position to clarify the doctrine. So he's getting this letter from his father to clarify a position that they needed understanding on. Saying, My beloved son, Moroni, I rejoice exceedingly that your Lord Jesus Christ hath been mindful of you and hath called you to, this, to his ministry and to his holy work. I am mindful of you be, always in my prayers, continually praying unto God the Father in, in the name of his holy child, Jesus, that he, through his infinite goodness and grace, will keep you through the endurance of faith on his name to the end. And now, my son, I speak unto you concerning that which grieveth me exceedingly, for it grieveth me that there should, be, there should disputations rise among you. For if I have learned the truth, there have been disputations among you concerning the baptism of your little children. And now, my son, I desire that you should labor diligently that this gross error should be removed from among you. For for this intent have I have written this epistle. For immediately after I had learned these things of you, I inquired of the Lord concerning the matter. And the word of the Lord came to me by the, by the power of the Holy Ghost, saying, Now this is a quote from Christ in a direct revelation to Mormons, similar to the language in the Doctrine and Covenants. Listen to the words of Christ, your Redeemer, your Lord and your God. Behold, I came into the world not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The whole need no, the whole need no physician, but they that are sick. Wherefore, little children are whole, for they are not capable of committing sin. The revelations state that little children cannot sin, for power is not given unto Satan to tempt little children until they begin to become accountable before me. All of us know of deeds performed by little children that may only be described as evil. I am aware of a seven-year-old who in an act of rage killed his brother. The act of murder is a heinous sin, but in this case the child's action is not accounted as sin. Why? Because in the words of God, little children are redeemed from the foundation of the world through mine only begotten. Christ explained through Mormon that the curse of Adam is taken from children in me, that it hath no power over them. Little children are subject to the pull and effects of the fall, just as everyone is. They are not, however, held accountable for their act. In summary, little children are saved without any preconditions, without faith, repentance, or baptism. Their innocence is decreed and declared by and through the tender mercies of an all-loving Lord. They are innocent through the atonement, not because there is no sin in their nature. That was by Robert Millet. Wherefore, the curse of Adam is taken from them in me, even though children have fallen, the atonement covers them that it hath no power over them, and the, and the law of circumcision is done away in me. These verses give the historical context for one of the most significant doctrinal discourses in the Book of Mormon. In the verses that follow, Mormon discusses the doctrine of accountability and the false notion of infant baptism. 
It appears from this introduction that Moroni had previously been called to an important priesthood position of responsibility. Moroni, in that new stewardship, probably wrote to his father concerning an important matter of concern and conflict. In response, Mormon gave him some fatherly as well as some ecclesiastical counsel concerning a very important doctrinal dispute that had arisen among the Nephites. The record is silent as to what prompted this doctrinal dispute or how the notion of infant baptism had crept in among the, among the people. Mormon's epistle to Moroni is designed to correct any error that has been made or false doctrines that have been taught and to plainly teach the truth of the matter. That was by Millet and McConkie. Verse 9, And after this manner did the Holy Ghost manifest the word of God unto me. Wherefore, my beloved son, I know that it is a solemn mockery. This is a mockery of the atonement before God that ye should baptize little children. The washing of little children was a false doctrine instituted in the days of Abraham and refuted by the Lord in a revelation. In uh, the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 17, it says, And it came to pass that Abram fell on his face and called upon the name of the Lord, and God talked with him, saying, My people have gone astray from my precepts, and have not kept mine ordinances, which I gave unto their fathers, and they have not observed mine anointing, and the burial or baptism wherewith I commanded them, but have turned from the commandment, and taken unto themselves the washing of children, and the blood of sprinkling, and have said that the blood of, of righteous Abel was shed for sins, and have not known wherein they are accountable before me. But as for thee, behold, I will make my covenant with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And this covenant I make, that thy children may be known among all nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. Confer conversion to Judaism is always accompanied by giving a new name. And so I won't go into that detail. The Lord on this same occasion made the covenant with Abraham that every male child should be circumcised when eight days old. Um, and then in, on April the 3rd, 1836, as part of a magnificent sequence of heavenly manifestations in the newly completed Kirtland Temple, Joseph and Oliver experienced a visitation by Elias, who committed the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, saying that in us and our seed, all generations after us should be blessed. Uh, going on to verse 10, Behold, I say unto you that this thing shall ye teach, repentance and baptism, unto those who are accountable, and capable of committing sin, yea, teach parents that they must repent and be baptized and humble themselves as their little children, and they shall all be saved with their little children. And their little children need, not, need no repentance. In other words, they are incapable of repenting. Neither baptism. Joseph Fielding Smith has taught children who die in infancy do not have to be endowed. So far as the ordinance of marriage sealing is concerned, this may wait until the millennium. Behold, baptism is unto repentance, to the fulfilling the commandments, unto the remission of sins. But little children are alive in Christ, even from the foundation of the world. If not so, God is a partial God, and also a changeable God, and a respecter of persons. And how many little for how many little children have died without baptism? All little children who die before they arrive at the years of accountability are saved in the celestial kingdom of God. And that was Doctrine and Covenants, section 70, 137, verse 10. We have again the warning voice sounded in our midst, <clears throat> which, sounds, which shows the uncertainty of human life. And in my leisure moments, I have meditated upon the subject and asked the question, why is it that infants, innocent children are taken away from, so, from us, especially those that seem to be the most intelligent and interesting? The strongest reasons that present themselves to my mind are these. This world is a very wicked world, and it is a proverb that the world grows weaker and wiser. If that is the case, the world grows more wicked and corrupt. In the earlier ages of the world, a righteous man and a, and a man of God and of, t and of intelligence 
had a better chance to do God to be believed and, re and received than at the present day. But in these days, such a man is much opposed and persecuted by most of the inhabitants of the earth, and he has much sorrow to pass through here. The Lord takes away many in infancy that they may escape the envy of man and the sorrows and evils of this world. They are too pure, too lovely to live on earth. Therefore, if rightly considered, instead of mourning, we have reason to rejoice as they are delivered from evil, and we shall soon have them again. That was by Joseph Smith. Verse 13, Wherefore, if little children could not be saved without baptism, there must have gone to an, 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 these must have gone to an endless hell. Behold, I say unto you that he that supposeth that little children need baptism is in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. For he had, hath neither faith, hope, nor charity. Wherefore should he be cut off while in the thought he must go down to hell? If you deny the atonement, you cannot have faith, hope, and charity, and you are therefore denying the power of Christ. For awful is the wickedness to suppose that God saveth one child because of baptism, and the other must perish because he hath no baptism. Joseph Smith declared that the mother who laid down her little child, being deprived of the privilege with joy and the satisfaction of bringing it up to manhood or womanhood in this world, would, after the resurrection, have all the joy, satisfaction, and pleasure, and even more than it would have had have been possible to have had in mortality in seeing her child grow to the full measure of the stature of its spirit. <clears throat> Verse 16, Woe be unto them that shall pervert the ways of the Lord after this manner, for they shall perish except they repent. Behold, I speak with boldness, having authority from God, and I fear not what man can do, for perfect love casteth out all fear. And I am filled with charity, which is everlasting love. Wherefore, all children are alike unto me. Wherefore, I love little children with a perfect love, and they are all alike and partakers of salvation. For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is, an, he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. Little children cannot repent. Wherefore, it is awful wickedness to deny the pure mercies of God unto them, for they are all alive in him because of his mercy. And he that saith that little children need baptism denieth the mercies of Christ, and setteth it not, the atonement of him, and the power of his redemption. Woe unto such, for they are in danger of death, hell, and an endless torment. I speak it boldly, God hath commanded me, listen unto them, and give heed, or they stand against you at the judgment seat of Christ. It appears that uh, what Mormon is condemning and characterizing as damning belief is the rejection of the merciful workings of the atonement after one understands the role of accountability, the effects of the fall of Adam, and the necessity of the Savior's redemption. When one understands these doctrines and knows the nature of God, yet continues to hold to a view of God as capricious and arbitrary and continues to deny the unconditional aspects of the atonement of Jesus Christ in overcoming both the spiritual and physical deaths that resulted from the fall, then one will experience a temporary hell until, it can until he can repent and acknowledge the saving power and mercy of Christ. That was by Millet McConkie. Verse 22. For behold, that all little children are alive in Christ, and also all they that are without the law. The Lord has made it known by revelation that children born with retarded minds shall receive blessings just like little children who die in infancy. They are free from sin because their minds are not capable of a correct understanding of right and wrong. Mormon, when writing to his son Moroni on the subject of baptism, places deficient children in the same category with little children who are under the age of accountability. They do not require baptism for the atonement of Jesus Christ takes care of them equally with little children who die before the age of accountability. Again, the Lord stated, again, I say unto you that whoso having knowledge have I not commanded to repent, and he that hath no understanding, it remaineth in me to do according as it is written. 
Therefore, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints considers all deficient children with retarded capacity to understand just the same as little children under the age of accountability. They are redeemed without baptism and will go to the celestial kingdom of God. There, we believe, to have their faculties or other deficiencies restored according to the Father's mercy and justice. And that was by Joseph Filling Smith. Sometimes the questions are raised, do all little children who die before achieving the age of accountability inherit the celestial kingdom? Will some have to be tested in order to achieve ultimate exaltation? Mormon stresses that all little children and all that are without the law are alive in Christ because of his mercy. It is clear from Mormon's words and modern prophetic commentary that all who die without accountability are incapable of sin and repentance and are redeemed and alive in Christ, meaning they inherit the celestial kingdom. Little children are innocent and pure in this existence and will be pure and innocent in the world to come and will come forth in the resurrection of the pure in heart at the appropriate time. At the time of the second coming of Christ, wickedness will be cleansed from the face of the earth. The great millennium will be ushered in with power and then Satan and his hosts will be bound by the righteousness of the people. During this glorious, glorious era of enlightenment, the earth shall be given to the righteous. But... Will not the devil be loosed at the end of the millennium? Some may ask, could not those who have left mortality without trial be tested during that little season? Certainly not, for these children will have already come forth from the graves as resurrected and immortal beings. How could such persons whose salvation is already assured possibly be tested? To reason otherwise is to place God and all exalted beings in peril of apostasy. In the words of Joseph Fielding Smith, Satan will be loosed to gather his forces after the millennium. The people who will be tempted will be people living on this earth, and they will have every opportunity to accept the gospel <clears throat> or reject it. Satan will have nothing to do whatever with little children or grown people who have received their resurrection and entered into the celestial kingdom. Satan cannot tempt little children in this life, nor in the spirit world, nor after their resurrection. Little children who die before reaching the years of accountability will not be tempted. And that final part was by Millet McConkie. <clears throat> so uh, children uh, that die in, in, uh, in infancy will not be tested. They have already uh, accomplished their test. Continuing verse 22, For the power of redemption cometh on all them that have no law. Wherefore, he that is not condemned, or he that is under no condemnation, cannot repent, and unto such baptism availeth nothing. But it is mockery before God, denying the mercies of Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, and putting trust in dead works. Behold, my son, this thing ought not to be, for repentance is unto them that are under condemnation and under the curse of a broken law. Several important aspects of the doctrine of the atonement and the ordinance of baptism are emphasized and clarified by Mormon in this epistle. Baptism is for the remission of sins. In order for baptism to be of efficacy, there must also be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and complete repentance. Since little children and those who, who because of mental or physical deficiencies never mature in the moral or spiritual sense are not accountable. It is impossible for them to sin. Without accountability, there is no sin. Without sin, there is no need for repentance and baptism. Because little children cannot sin, they cannot bring about their own spiritual fall or estrangement from God. The only spiritual death they experience, therefore, is that which comes upon all mankind by reason of the fall of Adam. Thus they are alive in Christ because the atonement of Jesus Christ has redeemed all, including little children, from the effects both temporal and spiritual of the fall of Adam. Those then who die without achieving personal accountability are redeemed and saved by the mercy, goodness, and pure love of Christ, as evidenced by his atoning sacrifice. They become heirs of the celestial kingdom. Uh, verse 25. 
and the first fruits of repentance is is baptism. Baptism is evidence of our repentance, and partaking of the sacrament is evidence of our continual of our continued repentance. And baptism cometh by faith unto the unto the unto the fulfilling the commandments, and the fulfilling the commandments bringeth remission of sins. President Spencer W. Kimball taught that there is no true repentance if we forsake only some selected sins but continue to embrace sinfulness. That transgressor is not fully repentant who neglects his tithing, misses his meetings, meets or breaks the Sabbath, fails in his family prayers, does not sustain the authorities of the church, breaks the word of wisdom, does not love the Lord nor his fellow men. So as we repent of our sins, we repent of all of them. We don't continue some and discontinue others. Verse 26, And the remission of sins bringeth meekness and lowliness of heart. To renew the mind of man is the work of the Holy Ghost. Elder Orson Pratt explained, The Holy Ghost changes more thoroughly by renewing the inner man and by purifying the, the affections and desires and thoughts um, which have so long been, been habituated in the impure ways of sin. Without the aid of the Holy Ghost, a person who has long been accustomed to love sin and whose affections and desires have long run with delight in the degraded channel of vice would have but very little power to change his mind at once from its habituated course and walk and to walk in newness of life. Though his sins may have been cleansed away, yet so great is the force of habit that he would, without being renewed by the Holy Ghost, be easily overcome and contaminated again by sin. Hence, it is infinitely important that the affections and desires should be in a measure changed and renewed, so as to cause him to hate that which he before loved, and to love that which he before hated. To renew the mind of man is the work of the Holy Ghost. That's a challenge that we have as we overcome our, our temptations, our sins, our habits, uh, is to have the Holy Ghost actually change us through our obedience to, to the laws that pertain to it. Continuing verse 26, And because of meekness and lowliness of heart cometh the visitation of the Holy Ghost, which comfort, which comforter filleth with hope and perfect love. Charity and love of others is a gift of the Spirit, which love endureth by diligence unto prayer. Charity is a gift that comes by prayer, until the end shall come, when all the saints shall dwell with God. Behold, my son, I write unto you again, if I, if I go not out soon against the Lamanites, behold, the pride of this nation, or the people of the Nephites, hath proven their destruction, except they should repent. Pray for them, my son, that repentance may come unto them, but behold, I fear lest the Spirit hath ceased striving with them. Chapter 9 shows the result of the Spirit ceasing to strive with the people that we cover in the next chapter. And in this part of the land they are also seeking to put down all power and authority which cometh from God, and they are denying the Holy Ghost. And after rejecting so great a knowledge, my son, they must perish soon unto, unto the, the fulfilling of the prophecies which were spoken by the prophets, as well as the words of our Savior himself. Farewell, my son, until I shall write unto you or shall meet you again. Amen. And that's the end of chapter 8. I bear testimony that what we're reading here is translated material. I bear testimony that the Book of Mormon is literally true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.